Hello and you're very welcome to another edition of News Talks SSE or Tristy League podcast. My name is Richie McCormack. And I'm Oshin Langan. And it's all becoming a little bit of a damn squib. Not necessarily this podcast, which is sparkling. No, that became a damn squib maybe. a long time ago. It did. Once Kelly got involved, yeah. we were done for really. Uh, but now it seems with three games still to play at the top of the league, at least that the league is heading Dundalk's way. Uh, that is unless there's a couple of upsets left in store, which you mm. never know. There, no. there, could, no. there could be no. bows going there on the weekend. and Yeah? Nope. Fair enough. Seven points clear, three to play, Dundalk's league to lose. It is now Longford also uh, confirming what we already suspected for a long, long time this season, that they will be playing first division football next year. The playoff spot in the Premier Division still to be decided, of course. And we've got the playoffs decided in the first division. First division's all done and dusted. Limerick, of course, champions as they were uh, back in, I think it was around April Last May. Christmas, I yeah, think. Yeah. That kind of direction. Uh, and since then, we've had Drata and Cove Ramblers qualify for the first division playoff. And we'll speak to the Cove manager, Stephen Henderson, about the prospects against Drogheda and what's been behind their rise up the ranks this season a little bit later on in the podcast. Really interesting character and a really interesting club. Very interesting club. And I like how he's going about things. And I like how he's learned lessons from his time at Waterford United and his previous time at Cove Ramblers when he also took them into the Premier Division. Indeed he did. He has learned several lessons from that year in 2008 from their losing their licence in subsequent years after that and losing to Salt Hill Devon for a playoff place in the league. Remember when there was playoffs for places in the league itself? The first division was actually a place to be briefly. Now that you mention it, yes I do. There you go. Uh, we'll also look back on Dundalk's latest foray into Europe. Zenit St. Petersburg visit Tala and if you're listening to the later edition of the podcast, here is how they got on. Benson will come on to the break. Ball for the dog. Trying a shot. Benson. Yeah! Get in there, you ladja. He got the ball. He picked it up. 25 yards out. He got it in target. And in fairness to the keeper agent, I think he was bad. But listen, who cares? Get in there, you ladja. But I'm very proud of my players. I thought they gave everything. Their seventh game in 21 days. Real tough going. We're, I thought we are come out the wrong side of a narrow defeat. Fitzel now inside the area. Fitzel with the chance. Plays for Giuliano. 1-2. Giuliano back in the net Dundalk 1 Senate St. Petersburg 2 Well they're all hard, hard luck it was a hell of an effort you put in there tonight is the feeling in the dressing one of disappointment or one of pride? No disappointment very very tough to lose a game like that you know uh, I thought in a sense we, we played well defended well limited them to a few chances I suppose not as many as they would have liked but uh, and you know at one, at one stage we could have been 2 up Was fatigue an issue at all? No no, it wasn't. Um, obviously, not ideal the preparation and, and all that amount of games to play. But you know, I don't think we we looked tired. I thought everyone put in a, a shift. Didn't really, I suppose, put a foot wrong in that sense. Everyone, everyone worked their socks off, and uh, you know, it, was, it was great to have that. I suppose but professional footballers were were fit enough for it. Um, yeah. It's obviously very very difficult. We didn't probably get the preparation the manager would have wanted to do. But look, that, that's the way it's been, and. Um, Hopefully now with the league coming up on, on Sunday and if we can pick the win there, it'd be, it'd be great. We might have a bit more time to rest and, um, and change up for the next game in St. Petersburg. Damien Lynch, formerly of St. Pat's, among others, welcome to News Talk's SSE or Tricity League podcast, the reconstituted podcast to take into account Dundalk's loss to Zenit St. Petersburg. Now we heard from Stephen Kenny and Daryl Horgan there. Daryl speaking to off the balls, Nathan Murphy. Um, He's not using fatigue as an excuse. Is he right, or was it just a case of them being beaten by a better team? I, I think it was both, Oshin. When you look at um, Zenith going into the game, being perfectly honest, um, 
and this hasn't been a pessimist, like you're coming up against an absolute top-class opposition, wage bill plus 35 million a year, you're coming up against a different class of opposition altogether if you can compare them to Bate, um, Legia, any of these sides they played. So that, that's one factor. I, I do believe the second factor, and I, and I can understand why Daryl's not saying it, uh, fatigue did set in in my eyes. Um, if I look at Gannon, uh, he looked fatigued. Um, and this is not a criticism of them in any way. I think it's seven games in 20 days or there, thereabouts. Um, just mentally, they looked that little bit tired, a uh, little bit out on their feet. And once that happens, you you you, stay, you make simple mistakes. You look tired, and, and you see the two goals that conceded. They were they'll be disappointed themselves. They were they were fundamental mistakes that were made. Um, and I do think that fatigue played a huge factor in that. So, was Daryl? I, I I understand from Daryl's perspective why he's saying that, and Stephen Kenny saying that in the dressing room. You can't mention the word fatigue in a dressing room. You have to like stay positive and say. Like this is why we lost. If you start talking about how tired everyone is, that just set them sets in. It's like a it's like a disease in the dressing room. People start feeling sorry for themselves. So I think fundamentally they were came up against a, a better side. Um, and then I do think uh, if they had been that a uh, little bit fresher, I think they probably could have weathered the storm a little bit better. If you are fatigued and it is an issue and it is causing problems on the pitch, why can't you address it? I appreciate what you're saying, Damien, but but these guys all know if they're tired and if it's not being talked about then surely that's a bad, bad thing. No, it's, see, on the pitch, if you're in the heart of it, you're, and if you look at the game last night, I didn't get the final stats, but if you look at the first half, about 70% of the possession was with, uh, was with Zenit. And the job you have to do out of possession to get into shape, to move, to do all that little things, that's, that is so tiring, particularly yeah. for a side like Dundalk who are used to having the ball a lot of the time. So it's not a case of, Okay, like we're all tired. Let's get a shaker. It's the little intricate things that happen. Like if you look at the goal, Chris Shields just put your foot through it. You know, on another day he tried to play a little bit too much. Even after that happened, there was a set panic, uh, like panic uh, set in. They were out of shape and they just didn't quink, uh, think quick enough to get back around, get into shape. It's probably only three, four times in the night where they were out of shape or they were disjointed at the back. So, and then if you look at Brian Garton on the goal, that's just a split second decision that. He, he closed down Vitzel instead of standing his ground, making Vitzel come on to him so that he didn't come out of, of the line of the back four. By stepping out, like, it was literally two yards. Vitzel knew exactly, could see the space in behind and how quickly he thought about it. Played the little one, two, and got in behind him. So it's not a case of you can tell everyone, like, guys are tired here, let's switch on. It's a case of just a little momentary decisions. Like, it's the, it's the 5% decision um, that you can that you make in a real quick snapshot. And I, I did feel that that's, uh, that's what cost them last night. Um, it's expected, as I said. It's not. This isn't the criticism of them, and I, I would generally criticise them if they weren't. Uh, if, if it was a just poor performance, but um, I just thought overall that the really small, intricate decisions when things got a little bit against them were just a little bit off last night. Is there any way of solving that, or is it a case of now they play Bohemians, they'll be at home, they can win the league, they'll have a lot more possession, and as Brendan Rodgers once said you can kind of rest if you have the ball. I know he talks an awful lot of nonsense, but I actually exactly see his point on that one. Yeah, and it's the point where you don't have the ball, how much hard work you have to do because you're, you're getting in position and all that. So I think if, I, if you're with them players last night, you're devastated and you say to yourself, how can we get over this? Like, yeah. can you think of a better way than having to go and win the league on a, on, in your next match? Like, anyone that isn't up for that or doesn't actually see that as perfect, uh, a perfect way to turn things around is I just wouldn't understand it. So they literally have the most perfect game as their next game. I think they'll go really aggressive in that. Whoever's the strongest side fit 
they'll go out and they'll they'll be at it and they'll be go they'll try and really dominate that game from early early on if they can get the goal and, and kick on. I, I imagine Stephen Kenny's looking at it. If they win the league this this week, they'll then be able to take that little bit of a ten day gap up until the next Zenith game and then the cup final and then have that final burst of their season. So um as a player, as I said, I, I can't think of a better game or a better situation to recover from a, a disappointing European defeat than having the chance to go and win your your uh, third title in a row. Um, like that's perfect for them. I know after three games they'll probably be disappointed with only four points and that says an awful lot in itself. Dundalk and the League of Ireland team are disappointed with only four points after three games in a Europa League group campaign. Uh, but I think most people would have taken that from a Dundalk point of view before the group started. Absolutely. And if, if we've been perfectly honest here, they would have taken one point. You know, just to get a point. When you look at uh, Shamrock Rovers, they didn't get anything out of any of their games. And uh, it became a bit of a damp squib towards the end, whereas... Dundalk have really gone and, and, and like they've just lived up to all like anything that's been put in front of them they've just stepped up to do it so f- f- to say that we're disappointed with four points after uh, three games is, is a phenomenal phenomenal achievement and I think the manner of it as well this hasn't been luck either you know if you look yeah. at each of the games the AZ game for an hour they were as good as them um, if not a better size they moved the ball better it was a goalkeeping error that, uh, that, that actually led AZ in and then they managed to show a bit of a spirit the Tel Aviv game I think Kenny Cunningham said it last night on air with us he was it was probably one of the best European performances he's seen from a side of, of, of Dundalk's calibre. And what he, mean, what he meant by that was a side who's not a, who's not a top side in Europe and how they set up and how they broke and how, the, how composed they were in pressure. And then if we look at the third game, the Zenit game, you're going up against like a side, are they ranked 18th in, in the world or whatever the stats are? Like, they gave them a good game for an hour. And um, it's not like Zenit were banging down the door. Uh, the second half, a lot of pressure came on them. But, um, like... Uh, Sada didn't have a huge amount of saves to make so I think the manner in which they've uh, performed in the games is more important than the points in, in a certain way but to have four points is phenomenal and um, I think the big thing now is can they keep it alive to that last game in Tel Aviv um, there's a lot of sort of permeations that could happen that, in order for that to happen but um, that's the big hope that, that, that I think everyone has that I'd love to see that it coming down to the last game between them and Tel Aviv winner takes all sort of, sort of game and that goal last night could actually be important. A 2-1 defeat as opposed to a 2-0 defeat might actually count for something when it comes to goal difference. Damien, just before I let you go, uh, it is Friday when we're doing this interview. It's obviously the day after the Dundalk game. Uh, it is the SSE or Tricity League podcast on News Talk. We recorded on Wednesday, but we're updating to take into account Dundalk. Cork City up against St. Pat's tonight. John Caulfield has admitted the league is gone. The league is done. He has talked about resting players ahead of the cup final on November 6th against Dundalk. Um, is there a danger that they might lose momentum or is it a case that they're tired and maybe they could do with freshening things up? And he's right, it's a, it would be a good thing to, to change players. Yeah, I think it's, um, it makes sense. Um, very admirable uh, season from, from them in the league. They were excellent. They've just come up against an opponent that's just too good. Like, I, I full credit to John Caulfield. I think he's done a phenomenal job there again this year um, to get them back to the cup final and, and to get them second in the league. Uh, there wasn't much in it. It's been very like I remember we were doing this podcast early on. I, I think originally I, I said I, I fancied Cork to win the league, but then it's probably five, six, seven games in, everyone was saying, "Well, Dundalk will have this one by by the first round or maybe by the second round." And they they, they kept it entertaining. Um, disappointing result for them in in Dundalk for the game. I thought they would have actually possibly got a result in that game and kept it going, but 
I can totally see John Caulfield's point in terms of resting players. Um, the cup final, like it will be devastating for John Caulfield not to finish the season with a, a trophy. Like that's everything to them now. Um, I think back to when when I was lucky enough to win the cup with Drogheda, and I was actually against Cork. We we didn't win anything that season. We were going in and treated the game as if it was the most important game. Whereas for Dundalk, it's just going to be another game the way their their season has gone. So John Caulfield sort of had a huge amount of games. Like they've played an awful lot of football. Not nearly as much as Dundalk when you look at account for their European run as well. So totally makes sense to rest players. I don't think they'll go unfocused. I don't think John is the type of uh, individual that would allow that to happen in the dressing room. So I think it's a nice, um, whilst it's absolutely devastating for Cork City, it's a nice way to just relax uh, in the dressing room to get players ready for the, that big final push of the cup final. A mixed week for Cork City, losing out to St. Pat's on Monday night has pretty much cost them the league. But they're under-19s getting through a European round against HJK Helsinki and now they will play Roma in the next round so it's been very positive for Cork City in many ways this week Damien Lynch thanks for joining us on the SSE or Tricity League podcast here on News Talk Cheers Oshin Well that's it from Damien it's back now to Richie and I you know what goes on here you've you've heard this before uh, we record then we update then we go back this this is the internet it's not radio it doesn't work like radio right time to go back in time uh, Richie and Oshin What's going on with you and I, if you know what I mean? Dundalk, of course, victorious in the league in midweek. 3-0 away to Longford. They also beat Shamrock Rovers last week as well, rather handsomely and comfortably. And it's been a pretty, pretty damp end to the season from a Shamrock Rovers point of view. And I suppose end of the season will be stretching back to halfway during the season because since Pat Fennell's departure, that club has seemed somewhat rudderless. I don't know what Shamrock Rovers are anymore. They're a football club that, based that, in Tallow, yeah. Oshin. Okay. Well, that might they seem wear a bit, green okay. and white hoops. That, okay, that seems a bit dramatic. Graham Sunas said last night they make you look more uh, stumpy if you're wearing hoops. Well, that's very true. But what I mean is, I look at the bench and I'm like, who's actually in charge there? I know who's technically in charge. Yeah, I know who might be in charge. Apparently, Stephen Bradley has been offered the job and will yeah. decide this week. Uh, the trouble being that if he takes that role, Arsene Wenger says, well, you can't be a scout for, for us anymore. Right. So... They, they just look a bit confused as to what they're trying to do on the pitch at the moment. And I appreciate it's a young team. If there is a succession plan in place, if they want to actually give this job to Stephen Bradley on a full-time basis, I don't think the confusion about having Sammy Ristler knocking around and, you know, maybe or maybe not in some people's eyes being the manager helps anybody. Whether the players know the actual lay of the land or not, it's the fact that that's still a question mark out there that it's kind of like... Well, actually, hold on. And is Bradley going to be here next yeah. season? And am I going to be here next season? The Killian Brennan situation, I don't think, uh, put anybody in a great light either. He clearly wasn't happy at the club. They were happy enough to get rid of him. But then again, that's symptomatic of a senior pro at the club isn't happy with the way things are going and therefore has uh, dived out of there before the season's end. It's a very generalised term, but it looks like they're missing leadership and they need someone to go in and be a dictator because that's what every club needs. Alex Ferguson being the best example of it, Arsene Wenger being another example of it, and people will say, well, they haven't won the league. They haven't won the league, but they've been in the Champions League every year. They're still very profitable, and you still know what Arsenal are. They well, are a successful club. Well, does Pat Look Fen- at Stephen Kenny at Dundalk. Absolutely. Another I, perfect I example. I completely take your point, but does Pat Fenlon's departure earlier on in the season and the autonomy that he was, I guess, seeking himself prove that if Pat Fenlon's not going to get it, that kind of dictatorship that you're saying that the club needs, who the hell would? I mean, you know, everybody else knocking around the league would be quite youthful. There's nobody there of that stature that could go into the club and say, I demand things to be done this way. I just don't think that person Is that why the Stephen Kenny thing didn't work out there? 
I think it's symptomatic of a couple of managers uh, kind of shortcomings in, in that particular club. Crawley be another one. There's, there's others. There's, you can go back even further. The Kenny thing is, is you know, one instance. Uh, Fenlon is probably another. I think, like you say, there perhaps is. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily a lack of identity, but a lack of self-awareness going on at yeah. the moment. Look, there's so much to be admired about Shamrock Rovers. Despite the season that they've had, they are still likely to get through to the Europa League, which is a massive achievement. Obviously, they've established a home in Tala. They're going to extend that now as well. Exactly. The, the club looks on very sure footing as compared to a lot of clubs. They've got a lot, lot of young talent coming through. So there's an awful lot to be positive about. And the reason why I'm so negative and in some of my comment about them is because I'm judging them on the good things that they have and what they should be doing as opposed to what they are doing. Because always with the club, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, you are judged on what you do in the league, in the top flight. Do you think there's a fear of overreaching? on their behalf in that like you mentioned they have a home they're stable uh, financially they seem to be okay yeah. uh, I'm not saying the riches they're there from the Europa League a few seasons ago are still there but you know I don't think they're struggling they're, yeah. not, you they're know, not Waterford United they're not going from week yeah. to week wondering if they're going to make payroll uh, but do you think there's a worry on their behalf that oh, we have all this but you know do we really want to go and risk it is it really worth taking the next step and, and going out there because we've mentioned it before we mentioned it in, Pat, in the wake of Pat Fennell's departure we heard anecdotally from different places around the club their emphasis emphasis is on youth and they're looking to build something based on young players mm. and maybe turning them into marketable profitable entities themselves and trying to make some money off that but I'm, I'm not sure if they're willing to go out and bring in big name players is the wrong term to use here but proven entities in the league you look at a, a Greg Bulger went to Cork City uh, in the off season last year, when he looked like he would have been an ideal candidate to slot into to Rovers midfield, and kind of lead them from there, that's the kind of thing that they should be aiming towards. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying. There's a lot to be admired because there's a lot of youth in that squad, but it just seems they're a little bit lost in where they want to go. Stewie Byrne was talking about this on Off the Balls uh, League of Ireland slot during the week. Brought up some interesting points. My worry is that they 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 just seem to lack that sort of little bit of guidance on the pitch from maybe what w- what you would get from a couple of of more uh, more senior players and by that I don't mean you know I know they've had players they've let players go Killian Brennan was offloaded last week as well mm. uh, a couple of weeks prior it was Gavin Brennan um they need Steve, I think if one if there's one thing Stephen Kenny has mastered um you know he hasn't followed this model of going out and signing the best players in the league and trying to make 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 it uh, a team out of it. In fact, it was probably that issue that cost him his job at Rovers. What he is good at doing is going out and identifying a player mm-hmm. that he can work with, and that he knows that player will work with him, and get a group together. And I think Stephen will be in the same boat if he, he does subsequently get the manager. He's going to have to go out. It's all and well good working with kids, and he's got some good kids in his hand, but he's going to have to identify players that he can work with, and that will work with him because. Um, you know, Stevens he's quite quiet. He was a, he was a super footballer himself, technically excellent. Um, you know, there's nothing he could have done, he he couldn't do with it with a football at, uh, at his feet. But um, that's going to be the key for him to identify what player he needs. And he, in, in fairness to him, you know, he I was just reading the notes in the in, in the program before the game against Dundalk. He knows that he knows he needs uh, players, top players um, with, with experience of playing in this league. Mm-hmm. He knows he needs to get a couple of them because they can just guide the younger guys through, and they can be, um, you know, they can act as mentors for them and bring them through. But it's just identifying that, you know, that particular player because it's all well and good and going out and signing, you know, the guy who's won a couple of league titles um, and you think is a good player, but you get him in and all of a sudden you realise that he's, 
he's a May Fainer, he's selfish, he doesn't talk to the kids or whatever the case may yeah, be. Sure. So it's di- it's difficult. It's going to be difficult for him, and he's a young he's a young manager. There's a point in that, and it's one that we raised ourselves in this podcast a few months ago, is that the Rovers board needs to have the utmost faith in who they're appointing as their manager, and then from that point on, they just need to leave the keys in the boss's hands and let him get on with it. I don't get the sense that there has been that faith in their managers or that ability to just step back and let them get on with the work that you ultimately want them to do, which is winning matches, winning leagues, winning cups, etc, etc. There's a constant hovering. This is the impression I get, anyway, looking from the outside, looking in, uh, that they don't necessarily want to leave full ownership of the club, I mean, in a playing sense, over to the manager. I'd agree. And Manchester United, look what happened after Alex Ferguson left. Very different situation, but you kind of did get the feeling it was the same thing. They never really backed Moyes. They never really backed Van Hal. Well, how they could put you? Marine, they, yeah, exactly. They put Mourinho in thinking, okay, this guy guarantees results. But even still, among United fans, and maybe even among the club themselves, there's this kind of, well, he might only be here for two or three years and we're not exactly sure if he if he played the United way. Now, well, that wasn't the United way. It was the Ferguson way. He was there for that long. Getting back so, from United, it, it, yeah. this ties into something we mentioned to Stephen Henderson later on talking about Cove. He was handed a three-year contract last year. A three-year contract at a first division club. Mm. I mean, that's that's showing faith. That's showing that there is the semblance of a project or at least a plan in yep. place to get from point A to point B. That's what you want for a club like Shamrock Rovers who have now haven't won the league in, what is it, five years plus now. We're knocking on that kind of direction. You want to have a sense that they are actually going somewhere, that they're not plodding along looking to finish maybe third or you know second at best behind Dundalk next season. You want to see that... Mm. Yeah, second or third might happen next season. But the season beyond that, that's when we're actually going to challenge for the league. And it's not too late for them. No, Make I'm, a good appointment no, no, no. now. No, I'm not saying they're Make not. a good appointment Jesus now. Jesus Christ, they're far from doomed. Make a good appointment now and it could come right very, very fast because as we say, they have an awful lot going in their favour. And Stewie raised a really good point there. If Stephen Bradley takes over the job on a full-time basis, then he has to look at players and sign them for where he thinks they're going to be rather than for where they're at right now well, surely if somebody who's worked as a scout that's kind of almost ideal I mean if he's yeah. got any kind of coaching pedigree to him and mm. an ability to motivate players I mean yeah. that's what you want the manager if you, if you add that scouting element in there as well about yeah. knowing not necessarily what they're going to be like as soon as you put them on the pitch next week yeah. it's knowing where they're going to be in two three years time exactly that's the canniness that they need and if there's one thing that all scouts know it's to be prepared <laughs> and he can tie all sorts of cool knots and stuff as well Deep, so does he have to get a merit badge or a coaching badge? I'm confused as he's escaped. He has to prove that he can light a fire using two sticks. Ah, okay. Moving on, we mentioned that we have spoken this week to the Cove Ramblers manager, Stephen Henderson. They've put in a fantastic shift over the end of this first division season, putting together five back-to-back victories after a 3-2 defeat to St. Pat's in the quarterfinals of the FAI Cup. And those five victories, including the most recent one at Athlone Town, have pushed them into the Division 1 playoffs. It's taken... One hell of a run of form to get into the playoff. Tell us how that came about because it didn't look like it maybe five, six games ago. Um, well, I don't know because, you know, we've been tipping away at those playoffs that's all year, Oshin, you know. Um, you know, and um, when we came to the last series of games, uh, I, I, I go back to the Pats match. I think it was the Pats match, the second half of the, sec- uh, the Pats match. We played ex- exceptionally well. And um, the players kind of got a huge lift off it. Now, we knew come to the last series of games we were going to be looking at 15, 16 points if we were to qualify. You know, that streamland stuff, 
you know, when you consider where the club was. But, you know, after the past match, we went out and uh, we played some really great football against. We beat UCD. We went on to beat Limerick, which were two fantastic wins. We gained momentum. And then, obviously, that accumulated with Athlone, the last match of the season, where it actually came back into our own hands, whether we got, go into these playoffs. And, uh, it, was, it was quite remarkable for such a young group of players. But, like, you know... Th- that, you know, if we hadn't done well in the other series again, you know, that wasn't happening. You know, we actually done well throughout the course of the season. You know, for an amateur club that was nearly gone out of business, you know, we, we had a huge turnover of players. We were trying to get the right mix, the right mentality, and then find a system that suited those players. So, you know, there was a lot of work going on. This was a three-year project to try and, you know, hit playoffs and this kind of stuff. So for us to do it in our fourth year is remarkable from those players. Because these players are, are what it's all about. Was part of that three-year project, Stephen, your thinking behind the contract signing at the start of this season? Well, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, contracts are contracts. But, like, you know, we sat down and we said, look, this is this is a plan. First and foremost, we got to stabilise the club. The football club was the most important uh, part of this project. You know, she was gone out of business. Uh, it was nearly closed down. And, you know, what we needed to do when we go in was to stabilise the club. Uh, make sure there was League of Ireland football in the East Cork uh, area. Make sure there was two football clubs in Cork because there's enough talent for two football clubs, you know, and stabilise the club. And, you know, in order for the club to be successful, well, then obviously you have to get results on the pitch because part of the problem there was, you know, we were finishing last and second last in leagues. There was only 60, 70 people showing up for matches. You know, the bar wasn't doing very well that was there. So, like, you know, there was a lot of work that had to go on behind the scenes in order to upgrade the ground. A lot of volunteers come in, done up the bar. You know, we were able to hold parties and functions in there. That helped us. And, you know, we were fortunate enough then to, to get some very talented young players and knit them into a team that started getting results. The results started bringing people back in the gate. And, you know, the atmosphere grew. And, that you know, there was a real feel-good factor start coming back into the club, both on and off the pitch. And it happened quicker than we anticipated. And then, obviously, then we sent, we go on this little run, and here we are in a, in a playoff. But it, it genuinely is. It's a fantastic story. But, like, you know, it didn't just happen, lads. It was, you know, there's a ton of hard work going on behind the scenes, you know. You know, we, we get the, you know, the mentions in the press and all this kind of stuff. But it's these volunteers behind the scenes and the players, you know, the, you know there's a huge amount of gratitude to them, you know, that, that we are where we are today. It sounds like, Stephen, and I'll probably go off on a bit of a tangent here, and I know Richie's going to roll his eyes. Obviously, you don't have the benefit <laughs> of seeing him. But it kind of reminds me of a GA club, and I know that you've in the past brought in people like Don Logue to talk to players and uh, address the group and all that, but you say it's, it's amateur. So when you go to guys, you're saying, look, I'm expecting you to give me everything to essentially be professional but not get paid. So how difficult was it to get players in that regard? And what kind of attitude do guys have to have to sign up for this? Because they're not guaranteed anything. Even if you beat Drada, even if you go up, you know, there's still no guarantees. No, well, there are no guarantees in terms of the financial uh, rewards uh, because we, we just don't have it. And that's, you know, like, like I'm not going up to players and I'm not telling them lies and I'm not telling them fairy tales. I've been very open with them. That, like, if you want to play um, elite-level football in this country, there's a certain mindset that you need to do. You know, football club here is to provide a platform for players. That's what we're doing. That's all we can do at this particular moment in time is provide them with a platform. Now, you know, essentially, I, d- I didn't want to go back into League of Ireland football and, and be 
treat it like a junior football team. You, you do your Tuesday and Thursday, and then you go out and hope for the best at the weekend. I didn't want it to treat. I didn't want it to treat like that. Uh, I didn't want uh, the coaches that are here with me. I didn't want them to treat it like that. But more essentially, then you know we had to find a group of players that, that were bought into the to the to the professional ethos that we were trying to get across. You know that you're going to have to train. You know two three times a week on the grass. Then you're going to have to do a bit in the gym, and then you're going to have to travel around the country to play a game of football. It's a huge ask. There's no financial rewards, but what you are doing is that you've been given a national platform to go out and perform. And if you get a move over it, you know, well, that was fantastic for you, and we'd be delighted for you, and we'll see you on your way. You know, so that's the only way I could sell it to them, and that's why we've had such a big turnover of players this year. Some bought into it, some found it too hard. You know, so we're down to, we just counted there from the, when we started the season. You know, I think of only about uh, 13 players left that we actually started the season with. And then, you know, we brought in some of our 19 players. We got a couple of lads on loan from Cork City. And, you know, they supplement the attitude. So the attitude of the 17, 18 players that we have now, along with the under 19 players, you know, they run through a brick wall for us. And like what I was really, why I'm really, and I'm genuine here, why I'm really delighted that they're in the playoffs because like it was important that they 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 see that there are rewards for hard work. And now they're going into this uh, national playoff against a very very good draw of side. We're hoping to have two thousand people down in uh, um, Coleman's Park on Saturday afternoon for them, you know, and th- and they deserve that. And if they get a team out of it, well then fantastic. But if they don't, you know, I'm delighted that. You know, we have the foundations there to really go and build a club. And hopefully, someday in the not-too-distant future, we can reclaim our um, semi-professional status and start rewarding these kids in the manner that they deserve. They're a young bunch, but they're a confident bunch. I heard Shane O'Connor, your vice-captain, speaking to uh, Lisa and Red FM in the build-up to this game. And he said, I expect us to beat Drogheda. I expect us to get to the playoff final against either Finn Harps or Wexford. Where does that level of confidence come from and how important... Is that in a player to have that level of confidence? Well, do you know Shane O'Connor? I don't. Okay, well, if you knew Shane O'Connor and you watched him playing football every week in, week out, you'd understand where that confidence comes from because he's an absolutely magnificent footballer. On top of that, he's a, he's a magnificent young man. We all adore. And Shane has played over 40, 50 games in, in the championship in England with uh, Roy Keane at Ipswich and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So, like, the man has the talent. And, you know, with the likes of uh, himself and Kevin Mulcahy and uh, Paul Hunt, these three lads are very experienced players. And what we were able to do was filter all these young players around them. And if you watch O'Connor and these boys training, the, the, the young lads feed off them. You know what I mean? And, like, our confidence has grown because people will watch O'Connor in training. They'll try and copy him. He's the first there training. He's the last one to leave. You know, and this is why I adore him. This is why, you know, we all adore him. Because, like, when you're trying to sell something to somebody and you have a player like Shane O'Connor who's out there playing so many games over in the English Championship he's at home he's playing for Cove Ramblers and he's still given the same commitment as if he was playing for this which that can only rub off on, on the rest of the players and this is where the confidence comes from because you know A he, he kind of he exudes that confidence into the other players and the other players are replicating his attitude and then the results then obviously feed into the players and this is kind of accumulated here now with the five-match winning uh, sequence that included us being the only team that beat Limerick in the league. We bet them in the Munster Senior Cup as well. You know what I mean? So I think the confidence uh, between Shane and Kev and Hunty, who's is the best goalkeeper in the division, you know, uh, and he talks to the 
to the what you call it to the rest of the young lads. You know, ultimately it's results that give confidence, but there has to be a foundation before you get that confidence. And these boys, and especially uh, O'Connor, this is where this is where I come from. This is what I believe. But if you're asking where does Shane get it, it's because he's a tough class footballer. Stephen, speaking of confidence, you took four points from Drogheda at home this season. Unfortunately, lost both games away to them in Hunky Dory's Park. I mean, how much of a factor are those four games heading into these playoff matches? Well, there's, there's no factor at all whatsoever because Jordan, Jordan, the process of that. You know, the you know we played very well at home twice, and we were absolutely horrendous twice away from home. Mm. You know, we, we had a, we had a lot of injuries when we played them away. That's not an excuse. We did some of our, uh, you know, more experienced lads, strong lads. I miss them for those games. Well, like the the league is finished now, and you know what we can do is we can sit back and we can reflect on where Cole Brambles have have come from, you know, where we are this season, what were our goals and objectives, and the reality of it is, what were our goals and objectives was, you know, try and get a cup run, see how we could do on the most senior cup, see if we could uh, get the lads to a final, you know what I mean, and see if we could challenge for a playoff spot. Now, the reality of the situation that pans out, we went and won the Munster Senior Cup. To many who would st- uh, stick their nose up at that. But for us, we're for where we were. We were delighted that the players were able to do that for the first time in 43 years. We got ourselves into the quarter-final of the FAI Cup. You know, and we were very unlucky to go out with that based on our second-half performance. And here we are, not only just not only have we just challenged for the playoffs, but we've actually got ourselves into it. So all our goals and objectives have, have been reached and, and some would say exceed us. So where we're going now, we're going into into a into a place where we can just go and enjoy it. You know, I think Drada have invested heavily to get themselves promoted. I was listening to Pete on the, the radio the other day saying that he has three targets. You know, so he's only reached one of them and he's another two to go. Whereas we have we've we've surpassed all our targets. Now we can go and enjoy ourselves. What happened in the league, it's gone, it's forgotten. You know, we can just go out and enjoy these two matches and, and what will be will be. Regards the First Division at large, we did a debate on this podcast last week about the merits of the First Division and whether or not it does anyone any good. Do you think that the whole structure could be done differently and maybe, maybe, just maybe, it could be a, a one-division league and you'd have maybe 16 teams with the likes of Cove in there and yeah, maybe they mightn't challenge for the title, but in any league in the world, you're going to have teams who are there who won't challenge, but it doesn't mean that they don't bring anything. What, what, what is your view on it, Stephen? Like you see, first and foremost, it's all well and good. Everybody's screaming for the one league, but I do believe there's a FIFA and UEFA regulate the state. There has to be promotion relegation. I think basically what it is is it has to be an open league. So so long as there's a pathway there, yeah. it's okay. It doesn't necessarily have to have two tiers. I think that's the ruling. Well, but you see, we don't even have the pathway because we've no pyramid system, and I think that's where it's going to. That's where. I think we need buy-in from all the, the Leinster Senior League, Munster Senior League, Connacht Senior, all these kind of people. You know, if there's a pyramid system there, I was reading there the other day about um, coaches, uh, you know, looking to get into the League of Ireland and they can't. You know, I think I think it needs to be a step where, you know, that pyramid system where we have teams from the Leinster Senior League, you know, if they win the top division, they can go into the Premier Division. I think there has to be a pathway there. If there's a pathway there, well, then definitely a one-team full professional league will definitely work. You know what I mean? But, you know, in terms of the fourth division at this particular moment in time and in the current setup, what it is doing, it's, it's, it's providing a pathway for young players coming from these under-19 and under-17 systems. You know what I mean? The way I see this fourth division at this particular moment, it's probably the best development model we have because, you know, it's, it's a very competitive league. 
There's some good League of Ireland players in it, some excellent League of Ireland managers in there, and players are learning how to play the game, uh, especially in an environment, you know, it's the way the British game is played, the way the Irish game is played. You know, you have to learn how to win individual battles. If you can't head the ball, you might as well forget about it. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that they're learning in this league. At this particular moment in time, the fourth division is working in terms of being development, but in terms of the overall structure of the league, you know, yeah, it definitely has to be worked on, O'Shane. But, it, you know, there has to be a pathway, and I think the best pathway there has to be the pyramid system where the, you know, the Munster Senior Leagues and the Leinster Senior Leagues and such like, you know, if they win their league, they can come into the uh, League of Ireland, and if they don't want it, then teams can stay in there. Stephen, I know though, if don't, if you're able to, are in a position to comment on other clubs, but it seems that based on something you said previously to us there, that it's all without wanting to get into management speak as well, a kind of goal orientation. In that, if you show this group of players, or indeed if you show a board what's capable, if everybody starts rowing in the one direction then, you know, you're providing a model of what can be achieved from operating within the first division. And there are those that have done it before you as well. So it kind of shows that if everybody is on the same page, something can be done here. Well, absolutely. And, like, you know, I think Cole Rambers is, you know, that, that proves your point. Uh, you know, we've, we we set out with a series of goals and objectives, not just for the players, but for the club. How do we sustain the club? You know, we started off with 70 people. The last game, we nearly had 1,000 people at it. You know what I mean? And that's not just because of the footballers. That's because of the model. That's because we treat our sponsors with respect. We treat our supporters with respect. You know, anybody who comes in contact with the club, we try to give them the utmost respect. But most importantly, we have now, we're at our, uh, coming in uh, with CIT uh, and we're with a master's class in CIT who are developing a, a strategy for us going forward. You know, this thing, this is something that wouldn't have happened a few years ago. But when that strategy becomes a reality for us and we start implementing that, we can see, see more people getting on board in terms of trying to help the club, uh, you know, in terms of getting involved in committees, in terms of getting voluntary groups, you know, fundraising committees, all this. Stephen, when you stuff. say, sorry to cut across you there, when you say you're getting involved with CIT, is that a, a kind of a master's in sports management or football and you'd be able to benefit from that through the administrative side of the club? No, it's, a, the it's a ma- side? they're doing a master's in marketing and uh, developing. That's that's what the master's class is. And what they're doing is they're going to devise a strategy. How do we bring this club forward okay. in terms of our match day experience, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the how do we get the bar to run better? How do we get the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole shebang, basically? How are we running our advertisement, how are we running our, our social media accounts, how do we? How are we doing all this and how are we getting the benefits out of that and then how are we making the match day experience right for the for the, for the supporters. You know what I mean, it's all right to say come on to the ground but like, is, there, is there any other kind of activities we can have going on that when they walk away, if, if we've lost the match, there's still something else to talk about. But this, is, this is something that we hope to have up and running for next year. And this is something that we're doing in the fourth division. It's like what Rich was saying earlier. You know, the fourth division gives you the platform to take your time to really kind of set solid foundations in terms of where the club is. Because, like, you know, they call the fourth division the graveyard, which is a, it's, a, it's a little bit ironic. It's, it's, it's always the teams that seem to get promoted to the Premier Division. This is when they died our deaths. Do you know what I mean? It's not, if you stay in the fourth division, you should be okay. But as soon as you get into Premier, this is when all the trouble happens. So what we have to try and do is sustain a model that we can bring up into the Premier Division, not break the club, be professionally run, you know what I mean, and have all our eyes dotted and our T's crossed and make sure that everything is right. That if we go up to the Premier Division, we'd be competitive, our club is safe, our some boarders enjoy their match day experience. If we stay up great, 
if we come back down, that's grand, but our club is not in trouble. OK, Stephen Henderson, manager of Cove Ramblers, really appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to us on News Talk's Airtricity League podcast and the very best of luck in the upcoming games against Drogheda. And who knows, maybe a game beyond that as well. Thank you. Thanks very much, lads. It's intermission time. We're happy to have you with us tonight and hope you'll come back often. Cove Ramblers manager Stephen Henderson, they play host to Drogheda United this coming Saturday in the first leg of the first division playoff and then six days later they've got uh, a trip to, is it Hunky Dory's Park, United Park, what are we going for? Hunky Dory's Hunky United Dory's, Park. Hunky Dory's United Park. Have you ever been to St. Coleman's Park? I am ashamed to say I have not. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I obviously worked in Red FM for a couple of years yeah. so I would have gone there quite a lot. And it was back at a time when Dave Hill was managing. It was his first stint as manager there. There was a lot of optimism about the club. A lot of good players there as well. Um, and it's just a really cool venue. Up on the top of a hill, in the middle of a housing estate. Um, parking was not something you did overly <laughs> carefully when you got to the ground, especially for me, because we finished our live show at 7 o'clock, kickoff right. was at 7.45, so I'd, I'd have to race down to Cove. Uh, very often when I head down there with some of the lads, I'd, I'd go off to work and climb up on top of the dodgiest, dodgiest camera gantry you've ever seen. I still drank back then, so very often I was going with Climbing the DTs. And drinking, huh? yeah. Well, I, I, well, I wouldn't drink at the match or on the because day of work. You were professional, yeah, but I would be badly, badly hungover because obviously now I can admit this being a former drinker. Drink did not suit me, and the hangovers were hell. So I'd be up on top of this dodgy, <laughs> shaking camera gantry, and I was shaking as it was anyway. So the fear would be doubled by ten. Plus, you were watching first division football, so you could imagine how, crazy. how dreary. Whoa. That was, but look, when the place filled up at all, there was a great noise there. Yeah. And Stephen mentioned it, they a thousand people for their last game at home. I can only imagine That's how good brilliant. the atmosphere was there, there then, because even since then, the ground has been worked on. It's a nice pitch. There's just something, and I know this is a very broad term, there's just something romantic about the place. The, yeah, no, I absolutely get that. And I've always gotten the sense that uh, with Cove, um, what I've taken from that chat with Stephen is that it's been very important to him and no I was going to say to the club but it's very important to him to build that nucleus at the club which is let's make sure the ground's right let's make sure that everybody who works in and around the club who volunteers is heading in the same direction has the same plan in place knows where we want to go it's something that we mentioned earlier with the Rovers thing uh, I suppose on a smaller scale but also tying the players into that and going look this is where we're starting from this is where point B is and hopefully all of ye either separately or together, we'll end up at point C. And that's ultimately where we want to bring Cove. And to have that sense of vision, but knowing that it starts by having a small nucleus of fairly committed and dedicated individuals surrounding the club. I've seen it, to be honest with you, I've seen it in the past couple of years at Bowes because we would have mentioned in the past how horribly (laughs) mismanaged that club would have been, um, both on a board level and, you know, I suppose in in a managerial sense as well. But now... Yeah, everybody. It wasn't even on purpose, Richie. It just got out of hand. They got into the yeah, Premier yeah. League and they just couldn't handle it. And it wasn't the first Cove, time that yeah, had happened, yeah. you know. And that's happened to a lot of clubs. What I really love about what Stephen Henderson is doing is he's tapped into. And again, I'll mention it again, but I'm only using it as, as an example. I'm not saying GA people are better. You can make your mind up on that. You yourself. constantly say GA well, people are better. I'm, I'm just. You're on record on this podcast oh, as saying no, GA. Actually, people sorry, are better. sorry. I've said it several times, and yeah. I repeat it. GA people are better, but the GA right is the perfect example of how to get guys to commit without them getting anything out of it. So you you take it, 
an it's average a division. Of, well, yeah. it's a sense of community. Well, yeah, it's a sense of community. But even just the dedication to training alone, you take an average Division 2 or Division 3 footballer or a guy who you know, plays for a team that doesn't have a chance of winning a provincial championship but might win a couple of games, you're still getting them training at a professional level nearly, right? Yeah. Now, they're doing that despite the fact that they don't get a whole lot of club games, so their club championship is all bockety and it messes up their life when they're done with their um, inter-county commitments. And then when they're playing with the county, they can't be seen out. They, they can't socialise. So their life is taken over by this and they are essentially a professional athlete but working under an amateur ethos. Now, if you say to all GA players, what would you like to change? What needs to happen for this dedication to be in any way worthwhile? They would all say regular games. If you play in the first division or with Cove under Stephen Henderson, you'll train like a professional. It sounds like you're giving as much commitment yeah. as any kind of inter-county player, but you'll get the games and you'll get the rewards and there's there's feasible progress to be made. And that's something that someone like Cove could do and possibly if Waterford United went down this route, they could do it as well, maybe at loan. They can do that, whereas GA clubs can't. So that's where football clubs might be able to to really get the best out of guys. And I love what Stephen Henderson is doing. He is, his motivational techniques, I would imagine, would make up for any shortfall that there might be in that sense of community. Like, say, if there's somebody there who isn't from the area or isn't of the club going back, you know, uh, into their youth, that he'd be able to go, listen, well, maybe if you're not, this is what we can do. This is what you can do as an individual player. This is how you can train. And if you do, look at the rewards that are there. I don't think, Cove, speaking to him there, like, he signed a three-year contract. He said they're way ahead of their goals. The end of the playoffs for them is, is way ahead of schedule as regards where they thought they would be. They're there now. He says they're going to enjoy it and that's 100% fair enough. I think they could probably do a, dro- a job on drugs in these yeah. playoffs and who knows from beyond then if they can get up. I'm not going to lie to you. Last week I said that I thought the first division was a waste of space. Have you rolled back and on that No, absolutely not. As it stands, I stand by those comments but I do like what Stephen said that there is no pyramid. There is no structure whereby if a team... And I, I did talk about this last week as well but I think Stephen... Um, clarified it or maybe said it in a, in a more clear uh, fashion yeah. that there should be a pyramid and that there should be a very structured way to get up to League of Ireland football if that's what you want to do um, but I just I, like I don't know what Drahada are like I couldn't possibly give you a prediction on this game because I haven't watched any first division football this year there's a reason for that we mentioned this um, but I'm sure Drahada if we talk to Pete Mann, we'd say, well, we've put good structures in place. We're not paying crazy money. I don't know what kind of money they pay if they do pay, but... We, we mentioned it earlier on about how the last time they were in the Premier Division was 2008, then they were in 2009, whereby they had to reapply for license and didn't get it. And they were into a playoff with Salt Hill Devon for a place in the First Division. And I was looking down through that First Division and it's, jeez, yeah, it's unrecognisable compared to what we have now. And I don't just mean because teams have gotten promoted and relegated. There was a Kildare County in there. There was a Sporting Fingal in there. There was Salt Hill Devon in there. There was Merview in there. There was, uh, what was the other one as well? It's gone. Monaghan were in there too. I am. And I was kind of going, that is just, that's five teams. That just like, and obviously Galway United have have, have, have followed up on It's like when you see a Commitments reunion concert, you look at the names and you go, God, there's so much change there. Yeah. it's, It's just remarkable. But it shows that they haven't managed this division well at all I'm talking about the FAI here uh, and the clubs some of the clubs approach to it as well hasn't been you know exemplary either so well it sounds like Cove have the right idea 100% in theory and let's hope let's I really hope it works out for them because then that's the template for all other clubs yeah what, no. there's no reason why Waterford United couldn't do that if Cove do it Cove and the more to be honest with you set, I'd say set Limerick aside as a freak Limerick were geared as a Premier Division club uh, this year, both in their playing staff, their budgets, 
all of that kind of thing cover the example that others can follow cover the side that you kind of go well they get a thousand people at Cohen's Park on a very good day towards the back end of the season when there's something at stake building on what Stephen says a few years ago going from 60 or 70 rattling around there you know this shows what can be achieved if everybody has that same vision about them and that goes from whether they're working behind the bar whether they've got a tie into CIT whether they're a physio whether they're a player whatever if you know where point B is you're doing okay that's very true I, one thing I noticed about Cove when I followed them and I went to games pretty much every week at Cove Ramblers sometimes on purpose yeah exactly yeah yeah um, <laughs> Um, seven Trevor Welch could uh, you know pick up some talent whatever but um, <laughs> what I really liked was you'd, you'd meet almost you'd meet, all the people you'd meet at Cove yeah. you'd probably see at Turner's Cross as well it was like just League football, of Ireland yeah. Yeah. exactly and then if they were doing it anyway well you'd get the bandwagon jumpers that you get in every sport Sick. and you need them you absolutely do just ask Connacht can they, we ju- they'll tell you that can we just welcome the bandwagoners on board and we'll welcome them to this podcast yep. as well once the plot start rolling in for this little shindig which sure. they're bound to do at any moment now well now that the Premier League has been proven to be useless given the disappointment that was Red Monday which it's was the most amazing game in the world which when you think of it it's called it was called Red Monday and just like communism it promised a lot but actually delivered nothing no one was left satisfied by it you, you, you're familiar with a lot of people who are on League of Ireland Twitter kind of you know League of Ireland supporters on Twitter and the left-leaning nature of a lot of those people. I like to troll them, yes. If you, they've, they've just abandoned us in droves there now with your, with your capitalist rants, <laughs> Mr. Reagan. Lieutenant Ritchie, tear down that wall. Or was it President? President Gorbachev? Mr. Gorbachev? Mr. Gorbachev. Well, cut in it. a famous Reagan quote. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Can we cut in a random one as well? Just from one of his movies or something? Yeah, yeah. like this? A lot of people think they're born better than others. I'm trying to prove it's the way you're raised that counts. But even a monkey brought up in the right surroundings can learn the meaning of decency and honesty. Pretty sure that was Tony Blair. Same thing. Or was it Donald Trump, eh? Political comedy is not your forte. No, it's not. (laughs) Uh, What about that bunch of guys in the doll? Huh? Huh? No? Okay. Uh, The fixtures this week. Cork City up against St. Pat's again. Uh, thanks for making the effort last week, Pats. Would love to know where that was all throughout the season. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at yes, all. You are. I'm You're not bitter at small, all. Bitter little human being. Uh, John Caulfield. Bad political comedy shops. <laughs> well, John Caulfield, despite the fact that mathematically, 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 uh, despite the fact that numbers-wise they could still overhaul Dundalk. Come on, Bows. Yeah, that can happen. Despite, yeah, sure. Uh, despite the fact that uh, they could still technically overhaul Dundalk if Dundalk were to lose their three games, yeah. John Caulfield, after the loss to St. Pat's on Monday night, pretty much just said, nah, it's done. And we're now concentrating on the cup final on November 6th. You know, I think with that gap, it's, it, 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 it's too much. And to be fair, you know, there's no way at this stage Dundalk would let that slip go. Um, I expect a massive reaction Friday night. I expect changes. I expect the guys that come in to give themselves a real opportunity because we play Friday our last home game of the season our fans have been phenomenal all year and I'm hoping that Friday nights our crowds are generally good and that we get a big crowd to hopefully set them up for um, the Viva and that was the FAI texting him in the background saying can I have won the tickets for the cup final or a tenner uh, I like John Caulfield I like John Caulfield as well apparently not just the football manager of Cork but he's an awful lot to do with the running of the club another Stephen Henderson type exactly Stephen Henderson Stephen Kenny uh, the other fixtures by the way we've mentioned Cork City against St. Pat's Derry City taking on Sligo Rovers 
Galway meeting the now relegated Longford Shamrock Rovers meeting Bray there is something to play for there on Friday night given that Rovers still need us at one more win to guarantee Europa League football yeah. uh, Wexford Udes against Finn Harps now that is a massive game because Wexford Udes could still technically climb out of that uh, playoff spot but they'd have to beat Finn Harps on Friday night in Ferry Carry Park and Ollie Horgan said it all the way along it doesn't matter how comfortable it looks or how much it looks like Wexford are, are, are dead and buried they aren't and this could go right down to the wire not and he might ma- still be yeah, right not with a manager like Shane Keegan the eternal optimist that he is exactly Saturday night we've already mentioned it Cove Ramblers up against Drogheda that one kicks off at 7.15 you know what I haven't obviously rang Pete Mann or anyone on the Drogheda side but we should talk to someone from Drogheda next week uh, on Sunday Dundalk against Bowes in Oriel Park at what? 7 o'clock that one live on TV what? on Monday in the Premier Division Cork City against Wexford Hughes and uh, we won't know until after the game against Finharps whether or not that's a big game for Wexford or not uh, then on Tuesday night it's St Pat's against Dundalk whammy that just about rounds up the uh, action there's no action in this podcast let's be honest with you it's mm-hmm. chatter uh, it's chatter of this it's 100% pure chat uh, yes. of this League of Ireland podcast for this week lots to be decided we might have league champions by the time we speak to you this time next week no, we, we definitely will uh, we'll have league champions I kind of fancy Bose to do a little bit of a job of them uh, we're the, we're, we are as Arnold Schwarzenegger proclaimed himself in the movie Kindergarten Cop I'm the party pooper I sincerely hope you've edited in a clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger otherwise I've just left silence for no just reason a lot of toilet uh, uh, effects for no reason ok um, best of luck to Dundalk in the Europa League on Thursday night if you're listening to the later edition released on Friday then uh, well done stroke hard luck stroke it ain't done yet for Dundalk uh, I'm Oshin Langan you can catch me on at Oshin Langan you can catch him on at Richie McCormack though you probably shouldn't That's it for this week. Catch you next week. Bye-bye.